Hello, sports fans, and welcome to the January 21st edition of From Bob's Sports Desk. I'm Jacob Bomber. And I'm Jake Mathis. And we have, first, a lot of football to cover, um, and then we'll get into a little bit of basketball and baseball. Um, But we recorded last week on Monday when the Clemson-LSU championship game was happening that evening, and we haven't talked about it since then. So we're going to start with that before we get into the NFL championship or conference championship weekend. Um, so going into the game, I was rooting for Clemson. I don't remember who you were rooting for. LSU. And my only thing leaning towards Clemson was Trevor Lawrence had been there before. Most of those guys had been there before, had won hmm. last year, had this 29-game winning streak coming in. So I was leaning towards them, but... LSU showed that not only are they <laughs> were they the number one team going in, but they were clearly the best team to be on the field all season. Um, yeah, they, it was pretty impressive how. I mean, the first kind of half wasn't the first half like. Well, I'm, Clemson started with the lead. Clemson went up seven nothing, and then LSU tied it at the end of the first quarter. And then Clemson came out in their first two drives in the second quarter, kicked a field goal, and scored another touchdown. So they were up 17-7 yeah. and looking like, all right, they got control. They know what they're doing. And then LSU said, no, we got it from here. Yeah. I remember the first quarter where both teams kind of looked pretty even to me, and I'm like, ooh, this is going to be really good because it was like two or three first – like two, two or three of the first uh, – drives were like either they all had to be punted pretty much and i was like oh this is gonna be interesting like they're actually gonna be able to like a nice defensive battle defense is like really good on both sides yeah that was that was the remarkable thing at the start of the game that we're expecting both of these high-powered offenses to come in and just be blowing each other away it's gonna be this high-scoring game and the first quarter didn't really go that way either way um each of them getting one touchdown but then the second quarter went crazy LSU ended up scoring three touchdowns in a row with uh, in the last 10 minutes of the first half, including one with 10 seconds left. So they took a 28-17 to 17 lead going into halftime, and then they received the ball to start the second half. So that's a huge momentum shift to be yeah. able to score to end a half and then to get the ball to start the second half. So they come out with the ball in the second half, but Clemson gets a stop. And that felt like a really huge deal to be able to stop LSU from taking an even bigger lead from 28-17. Clemson gets the ball, and then they come down and score. They have a nice drive and score to get it back to 28-25. So it's like, okay, this looks like it can be a game. Now that that Clemson got that stop, they got some momentum, this is going to be good. Play goes back and forth a little bit. Then on an LSU drive a little bit later in the third quarter, there's a game shifting at that moment it felt like a game shifting play in which uh, Clemson's star linebacker James Skalski who was making every play for them it felt like early on he was always on the ball he was always making stuff happen for them pumping up the team he comes in and he gets a pretty big hit on a receiver catching the ball and when you saw it you went oh man that was a big hit but when they showed it in replay it looked like a pretty bad hit. Mm. And turns out they reviewed it, and because of the hit, he got ejected. Um, and so in college, I forget exactly what the NFL rules, but in college there are two rules that 
or two criteria that can get you ejected, mm -hmm. they say disqualified from the game. The first one is hitting a using excessive force to hit a defenseless player. So whether that's a quarterback in the pocket or whether that's a receiver going up for the ball, contacting them in some excessive way, whether with the helmet or whatever, that that seems out of the realm of what it would be a normal play to a defenseless person that can get you tossed. That's not what happened. The receiver had the ball, made a football move, was moving, had the ability to protect himself. So it wasn't that one. The second criteria is at any point in making a tackle, leading with the crown of your helmet. Hmm. So not just like face-to-face, -face, but the act of lowering your head and the top of your helmet being the first point of contact with the player. And that is what happens. Don't they call that spearing or something like that? Yeah. Or, but sometimes you hear spearing, sometimes you don't. So it's kind of. But it's that idea. It's lowering his helmet and the top of his helmet being the first point of contact, the driving force into the offensive player. And that's what happened. They reviewed it. They saw that. It was very clear. He got ejected right in that moment. And that was just, you could feel Clemson collectively take that hit of losing losing their best defensive player in that moment. With LSU having the ball, LSU, I think the next play, scored on a touchdown to Thaddeus Moss, who is going to be an NFL player. That guy, the son of... I didn't realize he was a tight end. Yeah, son of legend Randy Moss. He, he is a super. Too. He's a huge, super athletic tight end who is going to make plays in the NFL. Um, so he scored that touchdown to put LSU back up by 10 again, and it just, from that moment, it felt like Clemson was totally deflated and they were not going to come back, and they didn't. LSU scored another touchdown pretty early in the fourth quarter, and then that was it for scoring in the game. So a crazy second quarter. There were 30 points, 31 points scored in the second quarter and only 36 points scored the rest of the game. So a lot of action in the second quarter moving stuff around, but Clemson just felt looked deflated um, from, from the turn of events of LSU scoring a lot at the end of the first half and then getting their player ejected. That was... That was the story for the game. LSU just coming, showing showing that they deserved to be there. They deserved to be the number one team. They led, left no doubt, and particularly Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, say, Joe Burrow in, came in dominant, and in, he's responsible for all the touchdowns. In that game, in the championship game, 31-49 of 49 for 463 yards and five touchdowns. That alone is an insane game. It didn't even feel like they rushed at all. I know, and they still had 160 rushing yards. Um but Some of them were Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase had nine catches for 221 yards, two touchdowns. Him and Jefferson are probably both going to be NFL receivers. Both of those guys are studs. Um, but <coughs> Joe Burrow alone in his last two games, so in in the college football playoffs, in two games against Oklahoma and against Clemson, when it combined 60 for 88, which is roughly 68% completion percentage, 60 for 88 for 956 yards, which is an absurd total for two games, 956 yards, and 12 touchdowns. That's nearly 1,000 yards in two games. 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns oh. in two games. 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns is a decent quarter of a season he for rushed, a normal quarterback. Didn't he rush for like a few touchdowns too? Uh, he had one rushing touchdown in the oh, previous game, one. but I don't think he had one yesterday, or in the championship game. He didn't. Um, no, he did. Just oh, kidding. Oh, they were all in the air. Nope. 
He had a rushing touchdown in that game. So he's accounting for touchdowns left and right. Dude's going to be the number one pick. It'll be interesting how the number one pick plays out because obviously the Cincinnati Bengals earned the number one pick and Joe Burrow is from Ohio, so him getting drafted by them would make a ton of sense. Except shortly after the game, LSU's offensive coordinator got Joe Brady got hired by the Carolina Panthers to be their offensive coordinator. Carolina currently has a something is very wrong with him, Cam Newton. Oh yeah. And um Allen I'm assuming is still on country. He was a rookie, right? Or maybe second yeah. year. But uh, he's second because he played one game yeah. the year before. So their quarterback situation is iffy at best, and they have the number seven pick. Mm-hmm. So there were talks of like maybe Carolina puts together some crazy package that includes Cam Newton and some draft picks and sends it to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati drops down to seven. So that Carolina can draft Joe Burrow and have Joe Burrow I playing in the that. NFL for his offense, for his college offensive coordinator. I would love and that then, to happen. That'd be crazy. And Cincinnati dropping down, they could still get somebody like Justin Herbert, or if they think they want to to it, there's a, like still a couple people that would be available at seven. Um, but Joe Burrow has a lot of a lot of promise behind him and a lot of a lot of hopes and expectations. And to just be in Ohio, I think. The city of Cincinnati would not appreciate not being able to draft him. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. But congrats to LSU for absolutely dominating. They, in the final poll, the final college football poll, they're, so LSU finished obviously number one. Of the next seven teams, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oregon, Florida, Oklahoma, Alabama, of those next seven teams in the poll, LSU beat four of them. That's insane. So LSU beat Clemson, LSU beat Georgia, LSU beat Oklahoma, and LSU beat Alabama at some point during the season. They beat Oklahoma, and they beat, obviously, Clemson in the playoffs. They beat Georgia, and they beat Alabama during the season. Or they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, and they beat Alabama during the season. So not only did they beat four of the next seven best teams in the country over the course of the entire season – but three of those games were in their last three games. Hmm. <laughs> so that, that is, is crazy. That is a season. I mean, I haven't done a lot of research into it, but I would find it highly unlikely that the championship winning team beat four of the next seven highest ranked teams in the country in one I, season. I've never heard of it. That's, That's crazy. So wow. LSU, LSU definitely earned that. Um, so yeah. Does coaches pull a like what who was the best coach kind of thing? No. That the so the AP. So there's two major polls that happen in college football. There's the AP top 25, which is the Associated Press, mm-hmm. which is a lot of writers who do this. It's a certain group of people. I'm not sure how they get picked, but that's what the AP is. Is like this college football writers yeah. association group that comes together and does that poll. The coaches poll is sponsored by ESPN. And it's a collection of a bunch of the coaches from around the country and I think a couple other people, um, writers or people affiliated with schools. It so it, and it's not just like five or ten people. It's like fifty to a hundred people. Like it's it's a very wide group of people that, yeah, so that it has do those many different opinions. Um but the AP is the one that for the most part is referred to when they talk about ranked in the polls before the college football rankings come out midway through the season. So, 
that's LSU. Congrats. Next season will be interesting to see how much of a drop-off they have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> losing Burrow, losing and, some of these dudes. And their um, star safety. Is meanwhile, well. Clemson still has their <laughs> has, has the future number one pick and Trevor Lawrence coming. And uh, Travis Etienne said he was staying. So Clemson's going to have the best quarterback in the country, one of the probably two or three best running backs in the country. Um T. Higgins, I think, is sticking around. I forget what year he is. Um, and he's a phenomenal wide receiver. So Clemson, oh, he'd, he'd be a senior. So I'm not, I don't know if he declared or not. But I haven't heard. Clemson's going to be around for a while. So be prepared to watch them do some stuff again next year. Quick side note. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Never mind. <laughs> um, so moving on to the pros, we had. Well, we could have talked about the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead. Okay. Um, Regarding the oh yeah, one, so one thing about the telecast. One of the cool thing about the telecast season. was there were four different things streaming the game on e- like four different ESPN channels were streaming the game, and one of them was called what was it called? This was, one was it like the field pass. Field one? pass, yeah. So the field pass one offered great commentary from the great Pat McAfee, and it was just so cool and so interesting. Okay, that so it wasn't just Pat McAfee to set well, the stage. I, there's the the uh, the feed that we were looking at had the normal game footage. So, like, whatever you were watching on ESPN, that camera angle was being shown on your screen. But then there were three parts. So it was that, and then there were two more videos. Or there were two more screens on set up there. One of them in each one. So on each sideline, there was a pair. There was a play-by-play guy and a color analyst. So the two play-by-play guys were... Steve Levy, who is one of the top college uh, play-by-play, he's on College Game Day, or he's not on College Game Day. Chris Fowler does that, but he's one of the top, like ESPN's top college uh, play-by-play people. Um, so he was on one side, and then on the other side was uh, Amin El Hassan, who is one of the other main play-by-play guys for them. So they were each split up on the sideline, and then Pat McAfee was with one of them. And Dan Orlovsky was the other one. That's who it was. So if you don't, Pat McAfee is this guy that we've talked about a lot that used to be a punter for the Colts in the, the NFL. The most electric human on the earth. <laughs> he is one of the most entertaining people. He is a super talented uh, player and retired early so that he could get into um, doing his own thing, does a podcast and all this. But he's And now he has a contract with ESPN, so he does a lot of commentary for them on games. He was doing the Thursday night football games. And then Dan Orlovsky... College, not professional. Yeah. And then Dan Orlovsky was a quarterback in the NFL, most notably for the Detroit Lions. The number one memory everybody has of Dan Orlovsky is him running out the back of the end zone for a safety unknowingly, and it's great video. Um, But he's a really smart guy, knows what he's talking about. So so they were paired up, one one play-by-play guy and one analyst on each side of the field. And then at halftime, they switched partners. So that was kind of a cool thing to be matched up that way. And it was really entertaining. It was, because <laughs> like both of the guys were very entertaining, but Pat McAfee just has this way of words and way of being overly excited about literally anything that happens, so it's super entertaining just to watch anything he does. And it was it was just running commentary, so it wasn't official really good play-by-play, because it was hard for them to see sometimes, because they're on the sideline. It, it takes a really good professional, because they had all kinds of paperwork in their hands that they were moving around, rosters and stuff, so they could tell who was doing what at any given moment. And 
to be able to just keep a running dialogue going between the four of them, but to do it in a way that we could follow and listen to and get information from. It was really, really well done. And so props and to ESPN for having that. It talent all four of them yeah. had to be able to continuously talk because it is difficult to continuously talk while stuff like that's happening where you, you could just like sit and awe and watch like normal people do where there's like we have to keep talking and we have to keep being entertaining. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So that was a great that was a great situation. So. One last note on college football is that this year's draft will be held inside of a lake in Las Vegas, the Bellagio Fountains, which is like if you haven't seen it, you should. It's this beautiful fountains that spray water and it's like this show that they do. But this year it's going to be in the lake and it's going to be – people are going to be like taken from boat to the stage when they get drafted. And I think it's going to be really funny and interesting. And hopefully I will be there. We have connections. I have connections that could possibly happen. Not confirmed or denied yet. I'm skeptical. I think it'll look cool. I don't know how practical it is to carry somebody on a boat every single time that happens. I Hopefully want, it's a short boat ride. I want some big defensive lineman or like some offensive lineman. The boat like starts to like sink a little. They're like, oh. <laughs> we will. Just how openly entertaining that'd be if you just watched like this NFL prospect just slowly sink into the lake. And you're like, oh no. I just don't like the idea of a bunch of young celebrity dudes hanging out for a whole weekend in Vegas. Yeah, I mean that that. That, that is a thing. Scares me. I but about that. Hopefully, hopefully they're surrounded by good people and mature and protected and and have a great weekend celebrating their introduction in the professional ranks. But we'll get to that event when it happens in a couple months. Can um, we live stream the draft? No. Come on, we can watch it downstairs it and have so long. I love the draft. I'll watch it alone, you I guess. Um, so moving on to the pros. Uh, the first game was the Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday morning, well, Sunday afternoon. Um, that game <laughs> that game was entertaining. It was very entertaining. It was way better than the second game. Um, How dare you? Uh, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> the Going in really felt, again, felt like, okay, is Kansas City going to be able to control – Derrick Henry, maybe not completely stop him, but at least contain him a little bit. The famous phrase, can't stop him, you can only hope to contain him. Could they contain him long enough to have him not just roll all over them and control the clock and do all that? And, like, that would be the only issue. And how good would Tennessee's defense be able to slow down everything that Kansas City is normally able to do? And the way the game started seemed like... Tennessee kind of had a little bit of control on things. Um, I forget what the... Oh, no, the game progression. So, going into the game, Tennessee had scored a touchdown on 11 straight red zone possessions. Which which is is crazy. It's really hard to do. Like, normally, you have more touchdowns than field goals. That's common. That literally every team during the season, I think, had that. But eleven in a row. But not not eleven in a row. And one of the main stats for that um, that we found on Twitter from JJ Zachariasen said since Ryan H- Ryan Tannehill took over for the Titans in Week Seven and then through the playoffs, Tennessee had thirty two red zone per- red zone possessions and scored touchdowns on 31 of them. That is insane. So the ratio of touchdowns to field goals was 31 to 1. 
the next best ratio was 4.25 to 1. That is incredible. So that is a large jump to go from 31 to 1 to 4.25 to 1, which was Carolina, 17 touchdowns, 4 field goals. And the worst ratio was the Seahawks, were 22 touchdowns, 12 field goals. So it's like 1.83 to 1. So that just shows you, like, having that insane power running game and a quarterback who's willing to just control the ball and do the right thing with it, they're not wasting points. They're making use of every opportunity into the red zone, which is a huge deal a lot of the time to be able to if – you, if you on a third of your drives are giving up four points every time, mm. like that adds up over the course of one game. That's anywhere from eight to 12 points that you have cost yourself, and Tennessee wasn't doing that to themselves. They were scoring every single time, and that was nuts. So Ryan that Tannehill was for a comeback player of the year. So that was the situation going into the game. Um, they'd only made eight field goals all season, which, which is was crazy to think. <laughs> it was nothing. Um, so they come out, they score a touchdown, um, not on the first drive, but um, pretty early. And then, um, then Kansas City comes down, and actually, did they score a touchdown? Oh, they kicked a field goal. They kicked a field goal. Sorry. Tennessee kicked a field goal first. So, like, all those stats kind of went out the window at that point because they had to kick a field goal early. And then Derrick Henry had a touchdown later. Tyree Kill had a touchdown. And then in the second quarter, Tennessee did one of the best things you can do in football and get a big man a touchdown. Mm -hmm. And they threw – they had, like, an extra lineman come in. But depending on how they set up, if you set up off the line or you're uncovered or whatever, there are rules for having legal formation. But big dude looks like he's going to block, and then he just takes a few feet – a few steps forward in the end zone, wide open, touchdown, Dennis Kelly, so good for him. So interesting thing about that is that mm. they got him through a trade um, with with Philadelphia because he's a third-string lineman in Philadelphia. So they got him through a trade for a wide receiver who was known for, like, dropping the ball and stuff like that. And so when he was traded over there, a lot of the people were, like, commenting, like, oh, this is a bust. Like, how could you, like, make this trade? This is going to be, like, the worst trade we've ever made. And then he scored two touchdowns for them now. <laughs> there you go. So. And I think, is he a starting lineman for them, or is he a backup lineman? He's a backup. They mentioned it in the. I only know that because they mentioned it. So, that was. He's now the heaviest pe- person to score a touchdown in the playoffs. Really? Yeah. That's funny. Where What's his name? Uh, That's the injured people. I forgot. Um, nope. I'm going to find it. Receiving Something Kelsey. No, Kelsey. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, that's the wrong team. Oh, my gosh. Um, Doesn't matter. So, so at that Did point, it's... you have it right there? Kelly something, isn't it? Yeah, Dennis Kelly. I was on the wrong team. I was looking at Chief stuff instead wow. of Titan stuff. There's too many things to do on the computer at one moment. Um, so, so he scores, Tennessee goes up 17 to seven. So again, Kansas city goes down early, goes down by double digits in a playoff game. And we had just talked about Clemson having a 17 to seven lead in the second quarter of the championship game. So it's generally difficult to come back in specifically in football. Like basketball is always a game of runs. Hockey, you get a lot of momentum, and if your goalie gets hot, like you can shut teams down. But football, it's generally difficult to have comebacks. That's why comebacks are such a big deal when they happen, because it's like, oh, they came back from blah, blah, blah. 
because it doesn't happen that often. It's one thing to be down by like three or seven. That's only one score. But once you start getting like 10 and 14, you have to come back from two scores down. That means not only do you have to score twice, but you have to make sure they don't score. And so that, and doing that often really kind of hurts you a little bit. So, I mean, we saw Kansas City last week. They were down 24 nothing, which is four scores. Like, that's even more crazy. So watching them go down 17-7 was like, oh, they're doing it again, but they can definitely come back. And sure enough, they did. Tyreek Hill scored a touchdown with four minutes left, and then Kansas City got the ball back again pretty quickly. And Mahomes had a touchdown run, and so Kansas City took a 21-17 lead in the halftime after being down by 14 points with less than seven minutes left in the second quarter. Scoring scoring on three straight drives because they can they know how to get their offense moving. Um, you had kind of a comment about that. Uh, yeah, so I, I figured out the Chiefs, personally. Um, so I, I also am not the only person who has done this theory because Pat McAfee also talked about it on his podcast today. That was listening to earlier. Um, I came up with the first, though. Don't worry. Um, so the Chiefs, they, in a way, they take the first quarter off, I feel, because they let the team go up ahead of them, and they're kind of just sitting back. And But what they're doing is they're watching the defense. They're trying to figure out what the defense is doing and so they can counter it as fast as possible. For like, and they come out the second quarter, and they're instantly being able to counter it and be able to score and be the Chiefs, pretty much. They did it last week with the Texans. What, was it the Texans? Yeah. yeah. And then this week with the Titans. Two Ts also. <laughs> I got it. I mean, so they're... They the same division. <laughs> so, of the first... Seven possessions of the game, or I guess eight possessions of the game. There were six scoring drives, so that shows at least the effectiveness of each team to to be moving. But from the time from the time that Kansas City, or from the time that Tennessee was up 17-7 with six and a half minutes left in the second quarter, they they didn't have a first down again, I believe, until the fourth quarter. And like there was a crazy Stat line, I think I wrote it down, where, so Kansas City ended up going up 35-17. They, in a, there was a stretch of, out of 17 first downs in the game, Kansas City had 16 of them. Between Kansas City being down 17-7 to up 35-17, they outgained Tennessee 342 yards to 33 and had 20 first downs to Tennessee's two. And so that took them all the way into the fourth quarter um, with like seven and a half minutes left. So Kansas City just became the scoring machine that um, they had five, they had six possessions and five of them were touchdowns from early in the second or from late in the first quarter through uh, start of the fourth quarter. So, and Tennessee isn't built to come back from that. Tennessee is built to. Just overpower you, run you down. Henry had 62 rushing yards in the first half on like 16 carries, which isn't bad. It's around four yards per carry. Um, but that's low for him in this situation. And 16 touches is a lot early on. And we talked about last week that Tannehill had won consecutive games without having 100 yards passing. Um, so his like attempts were pretty low. And then this game, he had to have 31 attempts. Granted, he was 21 for 31 for 209 that yards and two terrible, touchdowns actually. no interceptions. <laughs> so it's like he had a good game throwing, 
But Derrick Henry had yeah. 16 carries in the first half and only had three in the second half for seven yards. So when your best player is completely null and void because you have to score, because you feel like you have to score quickly, that really kind of sets a backwards tone. It does. Work. And it's not like Mahomes had an otherworldly game. Like he had 294 yards and three touchdowns. He had a good game. That's a it's a very good, well managed game, and three scores is great. Um, and he had a rushing touchdown, but I don't know. His rushing touchdown, by the way, it it was dumb. I, I <laughs> there was like five. He was athletic. Twenty seven yards. There was the like left five side. different points where he should have been tackled and he just wasn't. I texted my friend. I'm like, how? Like how? Like why? <laughs> like they literally were just like, let's just not tackle him. And then there was one point where. When he did his spin move, I thought that he was going to draw the ball. Like, the ball like looked so loose. I'm like, oh, that would be insane if he dropped the ball just now. He's a phenomenal athlete. He does insane things. There are multiple times where he's rolling to the right and looks like he's just going to run out of bounds. And then he just flicks his wrist, and 40 yards later, it's in a receiver's hand. Did you know that he is like obsessed with uh, ketchup? No. Yeah, so I, I, I think a little down on him. I understand. He's obsessed with ketchup, and he sounds relate, like Kermit the Frog. I know that you, his voice is an interesting <laughs> situation, um, but it's very entertaining that way. Quick thing. Um, we had Bob overlooking us just now doing the Go Chiefs Go. The, oh. And also, he like the second I saw him, he had a T-shirt on. He went like <laughs> hitting his chest to show, like, Go Chiefs. And I, too, am we, sure we, we are happy for Bob. Um, and one last thing about Patrick Mahomes was – with Patrick Mahomes set to play... Oh, wait. Did we say who won the game? <laughs> Chiefs oh, won the um, game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think everyone with Patrick knows. Patrick Mahomes set to play in Super Bowl... I don't... What number is it now? 54? I think it's... It might be, I, I think know, it's 54 because it's oh, L-I-V. Yeah, yeah it's 54. Oh, uh, yeah, it's 54. Um, the Detroit Tigers have drafted more Super Bowl starting quarterbacks than the Detroit Lions. And that made me so happy. <laughs> Because the Detroit Lions drafted Patrick Mahomes in the nope, 2014. the Detroit Tigers. That's what I meant. The Detroit Tigers <laughs> drafted Patrick Mahomes Two big cats. in the 2014 MLB draft because Patrick Mahomes' dad was a pitcher in the major leagues, most notably for the Twins. Huh. And so he grew up playing a lot of baseball. If you watch, If you watch Patrick Mahomes play football and go run, he slides very well. Which is key for quarterbacks because a lot of quarterbacks don't know what the heck they're doing when they slide and it looks terrible. Wow, I and, never put that together. And Mahomes slides very well and protects himself very well in that way. And he has a freaking cannon. So um, It's all right. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Lions are hot garbage. Heck yeah. And draft terribly and haven't won any kind of championship since an NFL championship in the 50s. So I think they won like one NFC champion. Not NFC. No, they've uh, never been in the Super NFC Bowl. NFC North is what I meant. Oh, a division possibly. <laughs> I think in the '90s with Barry Sanders, but I think they've only yeah, that's like the only playoff game they've been in in a long time. So they're gotcha. very bad, but the Kansas City Chiefs are very good and advanced to the Super Bowl for the first time since. They're my Super Bowl pick. Super Bowl one, which is incredible. Fifty-year drought just washed away. Yep. So that'll be like the rains good down for them. in Africa. Okay. So the second game. Yeah. <laughs> Second game wasn't nearly as entertaining because one team very much controlled most of the game. Yeah. Would you like would you like to give your opinion? This is a very touchy subject to me right now. 
I cried five times during the point of this You've game. changed your story on that multiple times. As you've told that, you've said five, three, and five over the last couple of days. No, it was so three before the first half is what I said. Oh, I I've did not cr- hear that. I've cried five times. Um, I stopped watching after the first half. No. And then I... You've stopped well, watching? Well, I watched through my phone. Like, so, like, I got the... Like, I was watching through ESPN, like, in, like, the little, like, text chat ones. What like, were I you just, doing? I was literally sitting in a dark room by myself listening to a podcast because I was sad. Yikes. I moved into the spare bedroom that has, like, one outlet that's covered by things. So, like, there's no electricity. So, you just go in there and it's just pitch black. And I laid on the carpet just in a ball being upset. Sad time. I had blankets scattered across the room. I had... Well, the Packers had more time of possession. That Clearly, that means nothing. Well, clearly. But I just... Considering the Niners ran the ball 42 times for 285 yards. You do not understand how angry that made me. That they were just running and running and running. and you guys That they were killing the clock it. off in the first quarter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, they're Because drives. at one point, at the second, like, the towards the middle of the second half, we had hope. Like, we started to, like, slowly kind of, like, make, like, you know what? We're, uh, like, coming back a little bit. Like, we're going to make this interesting at least. Well, and then in the fourth quarter, because the progression went 7 nothing, 10 nothing, 17 nothing, 20 nothing, 27 nothing. So it was 27 nothing at halftime. Yeah. Which is rough. Yeah. And then you guys, Aaron Jones came out, and I'm pretty sure Adams didn't even have a target in the first half. Or maybe he had one target, one. but he definitely didn't have a catch. I don't think he had, I don't think he caught it. The play he had against Sherman was fantastic. Okay. But that was in the second half. Yeah. So Devontae Adams, one of the top five receivers in the league, barely is getting looked at for an entire half. And then their first drive, I think the first three plays all went to him. And then there was a run. And then it was another pass to him. And they had a good drive. And they come down. And I don't know if that was the opening drive or not that they scored on. But I don't remember. I don't think it was. But Aaron Jones ended up scoring. So it was 27-7. So it was like, okay, a little momentum. Maybe they can do stuff. Nope. Niners go down. Score another touchdown, so 34-7. And then the Packers have another drive. and they So the Packers got it to 34-20, and it looked like, all right, if they can do this one thing and get a stop right now. But they didn't. Yeah, we uh, – we, I don't know how to explain it even. We went in there thinking that we were going to be great because we thought San Francisco's a lot like Sac- or a lot like Seattle where they're a run-first team where – they are, they are, but for some reason we're just like, let's not contain the run. And it was just really difficult. And it, it frustrates me when a quarterback throws or has eight passing attempts and a running back does all the work because that's literally just time being taken away from every single snap. And it just hurts. How that, long do you think San Francisco's longest drive in terms of time was? I don't know, like seven minutes? Their longest drive in terms of time was four minutes and 42 seconds, and it was in the fourth quarter. None of their other drives were longer than four minutes. Yep. They were all less than four minutes. But one of their drives was 15 yards, another one was 37 yards, another one was 30 yards. We had a punt go for 20 yards at one point. Yeah, best punter in the game, J.K. Scott. Mad shank. I... Love J.K. Scott. J.K. Scott is very talented. He has a that lot of a really, really good kicks. But the one bad kick I've seen all year was one of the ones that was the most important kicks, and he just messes it up and hurts. Yeah, this was. I think this was the 
this stretch that I'm about to explain is what just put the game Did out you? of reach. Was so gold for the Niners kicks a 54 yard field goal when team record in the playoffs. I, like, I don't know. <laughs> team record for the Niners first play of the second quarter. The Niners go up 10 nothing. Packers get the ball. Uh, I don't know if it was a three and out or if they got a first down or something. I'm gonna find it. Probably not. Um, we had like two first downs at the half. Uh, punt. So they punted, and then what did I do? Oh yeah. So yeah, it was three and out. So we talked about this J.K. Scott punt that is a shank. So the Niners get good it field went position. Twenty-one yards. And they come down and score a touchdown. And then so it's seventeen nothing. So then the next drive, Aaron Jones is running all the way down the field. Like it is the Packers are putting up a good drive. It's looking good. I think it lasted eleven plays. Or no, six plays, but fifty yards oh, of, so the, oh. of Aaron Jones like looking like, Okay, we got this, we're gonna come in and then fumble. Bad the fumble was a terrible snap okay. by the center. How the ball literally he was under hits center. his butt and it just bounces out of Aaron's hands and we're like, ugh. So I I don't know who to blame there. I'm not going to say it was a terrible snap I, I because Aaron Rodgers was under center. How do you have a bad snap when your quarterback is under center? Um, the result was obviously bad because it like Rodgers started to pull away before he had the ball, so he's like three steps behind and has no chance to go recover it. Niners jump on it, and then I think they had – they had a stretch where they had 11 straight rushing plays to just yep. beat beat them down. That hurts and, so much. And then, Did you talk about um, Kenny Clark's penalty? Uh, I mentioned it. Because I wrote it down somewhere. Oh yeah, the roughing the passer, which was terrible, by the way. That I don't was think not you understand. He was that should not have been roughing the passer. Why? Because he was literally in motion. It's not his fault that he's being pushed down by an offensive lineman into him. If you were to pull it up right now and you were to see it in slow motion, you'd be like, yeah, you're right. I don't think I, I – I watched the game and I watched the replay and I saw it. And that, I said, that play was so bad to me. That looked like roughing the passer. I, I get our um, – I do agree with the pa- or the the play that um, Kevin King is holding on to the receiver. Like I get that. But that one, just, that one hurt me. If you end up on the ground at the quarterback's legs and hit the quarterback in the legs – that is going to get called 100% of the time. I so, just have an issue with that where it's like if you're – like Kenny Clark is a very large man. It is very difficult for him to stop on a dime, and it's his not his fault that he rolled into him pretty much. I would have to – I would have to see a replay and see if he actually got pushed into him. But if you are charging at the quarterback, you are responsible for controlling your own body and not hitting a defenseless quarterback in the leg. You have to do what you can to avoid it. And not only did he hit Garoppolo in the leg, he hit Garoppolo in the bad leg that already had a knee brace on it. And it well, then made it, it buckle it a little bit. It had extra protection if it so, was on a knee brace. No. So you are not allowed to hit the quarterback. Not like the, the quarterback leg. even mattered in that game. Not the point. <laughs> they could have had their kicker in there to throw the ball. Not the point. Eight times. So Mostert ended the first half with 14 carries for 160 yards and three rushing touchdowns. Yeah, this, this no-name guy really hurt me. This no-name guy. Yes, he's been cut by six different teams, and this is his first breakthrough okay, game. Okay, but this season he wasn't a no-name. I, I don't watch. Okay. I watched them twice when they played us. Yeah. Finished with 29 carries for 220 yards and four touchdowns. So, yeah. 
Impressive play by him. Tevin Coleman got hurt, though, yeah, so I'm not sure if he's going to be back for the Super Bowl. I think I, it, it broke. It didn't look not great. He put his arm to the ground, and then, like, his arm... I didn't even see. I like 100% happen. think that his wrist is probably broken. I I didn't see that happen at all. But the way he came up <coughs> holding it and stuff like that, I'm like, ooh, that's not. Well, yeah, but it's a there was there was no. I watching the replay even in slow mo. I was like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what part of I'm it. I'm actually went. surprised that we haven't heard anything about that yet. So I mean, we got two weeks. So San Francisco looked incredibly dominant, and Kansas City looks like their offense is just. Firing whenever it wants. So good news is, is we have uh, three people in the Pro Bowl now. <laughs> yeah, you have fun watching. All that three of them are uh, your first time watching your first guys time Pro play in Orlando. I think I'm doing. No, I'm not doing anything. Like so yeah, I might watch it. But we're all uh, all three of them first time Pro Bowlers, so it's kind of fun. So Darius Smith, who I love, so Darius Smith. The Smith brothers are awesome. We will we will have a preview or something sometime next week, but. Early quick prediction, I'm just going to go with Kansas City. Me too. I think I don't think San Francisco's offense is built to keep up with Kansas City. I know they've done it a couple times this season, and they've had big games out of Garoppolo, but I think that's very atypical, whereas this Good is show, typical for Kansas City to do. I just The weapons of Hill running by everybody, Nicole Coleman running by everybody, Travis Kelsey just being Travis, a oh, stud in the middle. This is actually the best part about the Super Bowl to me is the the battle of the two tight ends because I love both these tight ends and I think they're like two of the best like athletic players in the league right now. I'm like this is gonna be so much fun to watch these two. Also, uh, one funny moment, not funny moment, one cool moment from the uh, I don't even know if it's cool really. It's just one moment. One moment from the end of the Kansas City game is um, Travis Kelsey got a hug from his brother Jason Kelsey. And Jason Kelsey looks like a mountain man. He oh, looks incredible. Jason Kelsey's great. Yeah. <laughs> Is he, did he retire? I don't think so. Oh, he did. I don't think so. He's a lineman from One of the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles. Yeah. Yeah, well. So they're just, fun fact, they, and they said it on the telecast, Garoppolo went over an hour and a half of real time without throwing a pass. <laughs> that literally hurts me so much. <laughs> it was just like, wow, that's... Taking football back a few decades with teams just yeah, smash mouth. So, Super Bowl 54. What? It's 0-28, by the way. <laughs> you could have waited till we got there. Yeah, say. I don't know why I said it now. I did. They've played each other 28 times? Yeah, they're both veterans. All right, so on that note, switching to basketball. The only basketball note I really had is... Oh, Zion's coming back on Wednesday. Oh, that's true. Because um, we only have 17 minutes left. Is to talk about last night's Lakers-Celtics game, Ooh. which I didn't actually watch. I knew it was on, and then I meant to record it, and then I forgot to record it, and I was out last night, and I didn't watch it. And so I was watching part of it this morning, but I didn't actually watch it. But the stat sheet tells pretty much everything you need to know. And it starts with JaVale McGee being our leading scorer. That should never happen. Chevelle had a very good game, though. I'm going to say that for center. LeBron only playing 29 minutes, and Anthony Davis only playing 22 minutes, and getting a total of nine points and four rebounds. LeBron still had 13 assists. Like that's so still really good. He still good. does LeBron things. I think he's leading the league in assists. He is, and average, which so, is crazy. Good for him. Like 13 a game. But I plus minus 
plus minus is a weird stat to like think about because there's five people on the court. So how does this work? But Anthony Davis's plus minus last night was minus 24. He was on the court for 22 minutes and his plus minus was minus 24. Meanwhile, Jason Tatum was on the court for 28 minutes and his plus minus was plus 32. I, I enjoy watching Jason Tatum. He's pretty decent. So, so Tatum had 27 points. Kemba had 20. Jalen Brown had 20. Gordon Hayward had 16. Enos Cantor had 18 and 11 off the bench. Who? Enos Cantor. It oh. says Enos Cantor played four minutes. That's a typo. I've never heard of him. There's no way he had 18 points in four yeah, minutes. Yeah, that'd so be insane. <laughs> CBS needs to Maybe they fix were only... their situation. Yeah. yeah, the bench situation is, I think all these are off. I think minutes and steals are in the wrong. <laughs> it, says he has, it says they both have, Enos Cantor has four minutes and 24 steals. Oh. And Marcus Smart had three minutes and 26 steals. So those numbers are backwards. Good job, CBS. <laughs> 24 steals. That would be insane. Um, but I moved a table very the Celtics fast. Outscored, the Celtics scored 33, 36, 35, and 35 in each quarter. And the Lakers scored 30, 25, 25, 27. So quick math. Celtics whooped us. Yep. Wasn't great. And that's just disheartening because, A, never want to lose to Boston. Yeah. One of the biggest uh, – one of the biggest uh, – What's the word I'm looking for? Rivals. There we go. That like in football, in basketball is those two, and it's pretty cool. So I've always considered them to be like the rival. So we still have the best record in the West, second best record in the NBA. Which surprised me because we've dropped a lot like last week or two. But it's <coughs> fine. I think we're still pretty dominant. Um, we've only. We've only Did we lose like three in a row right there? Oh, back there we won. So we lost three in a row, and then we won nine in a row. Yeah, it happens. And then lost two. Looks like two out of the last three. Yeah, because that's the one by one point. That one hurt. Yeah, we were at bowling on Wednesday. LeBron missed a three late. I think um, I'd like to see these two teams play in the uh, final. There's no way Boston's beating Milwaukee. It's possible. Nope. Okay, fine. That is not what I clicked. That is annoying. Um, trying to look at our schedule. So, I don't know what to think about us. We're still the most dominant team in the West, I think. I think we're um, definitely the most entertaining team to watch, too. I Well, actually, Milwaukee's pretty entertaining, too. <laughs> Milwaukee's but very entertaining. Dallas is very entertaining. Dallas is only entertaining to you because of Luka and uh, Persingas. I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> um, dang, we've scored. We only haven't scored 100 points in a game three, four times all season. That's pretty decent, actually. How many games are we in? 32? 43. Oh, well, I'm slightly off my math. So this week we got at the Knicks, at the Nets, at the Sixers. So Two of them at least are wins. We should, <laughs> we should win two of those games by a combined 45 points. <laughs> And then Philadelphia, we should beat. I think that'd be a good game, actually. But uh, yeah. actually, how's Philly playing this year? Uh, they're like fifth in the East, I okay. think. Um, but it's not as good as they were. I last thought. Season. I mean, they lost Jimmy Jimmy Butler from last season because he's on Miami now. But they still have they still have Ben Simmons, they still have Joel Embiid, they still have Tobias Harris. So like yeah, they, they still, still have, have players. very good players. Um. Al Horford, they picked up too. Like, oh, I so forgot they about have, that. That's four very good players. 
Um, I'm just not sure how much playing time they've all. I think they've all. Embiid is always hurt. Like that's the thing. That's yeah. the really tough thing about Embiid is when he plays, he's. I mean, he's shooting 47%, which isn't great for somebody his size, but that's because he averages 3.83s a game, and so that's going to be him. But when he that. plays, he averages 23 points, 12 boards, and one and a half blocks, and so that's a big. Good. He's a good big presence. Man. That's, it's just that that's a lot of production. It's just that it he's hurts missed his stock that he gets hurt. He's missed 14 so games. Much. So when you miss a third of the season, I, I mean, it's the playoffs that matter. So if he's around for the playoffs, but we've seen that too, where he's just not, he can't go a full five, seven game series and stay in the whole time and be productive. Whereas somebody like Tobias Harris. Is averaging 19 and 7, and Simmons is averaging 16, 8, and 8. So, and two steals a game, which is crazy. Um, so they're good, but they're currently fifth in the East behind Milwaukee, Boston, Miami. And I actually didn't know Miami was doing that well. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and Toronto. Oh, I'm actually surprised Toronto's that high. Milwaukee, too. Miami, Toronto, Boston, Philly. <laughs> And then Indy is sixth at 28 and 16, so 12 games over 500. Seventh place is Orlando, two games under 500. Oh. The East is so bad. But I just like Orlando because they got Mo Bamba. <laughs> so that's our only basketball note. Um, our last topic is going to be also kind of outdated by now, but uh, still. there's one quick other baseball news I'd like to up before it's very quick and easy all right um king felix was or has a felix hernandez correct he has a he has signed a minor league deal with the atlanta braves which is like that with an invitation to the pros too though so it's like a two-way deal but it's just crazy to me that someone who's been a pitcher for so long and he's an above average pitcher but he immediately goes to not anymore he isn't I mean, he's still decent, isn't he? No. Oh, well, never mind. I mean, it makes sense then. But it's still weird to me that he's going to a minor league team. His last two seasons, he's 9-22 and 22 with oh. ERAs over 5-6. and six. Oh, man. Okay, well, now I know why he's in a minor league deal. Granted, there was a stretch of time from 2009 to 2015 when he was phenomenal. Yeah. One of the best pitchers in the game at any given moment but he fell off hard once he turned 30 mm. his era has increased each of the last six years so he had a 2.14 era and then went three five three three eight two four three six five 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 six four it's just crazy to see a uh, one of the greats fall like that that fast then i mean it, it happens so it happens when you get old i mean he's not that old he's 33 Hey, keep playing. You want to keep playing? I wish I were playing minor league baseball. That'd be so dope. We're the same age. Tim Tebow plays minor league baseball. Yeah. By the so way, Tim Tebow got married. So that, yeah, congrats, Tim. We're happy for you. Um. So anyway, really the big news that we have, we probably won't go the full eight minutes, but, oh, I can. and I don't even know all the details. Well, then you can talk a lot more and I'll just, whatever. Um, For the Astros, the Houston Astros, having their... Two World Series victories, or no, they just won once, but they've been. But they've been multiple times. Um, getting tarnished 
from these sign-stealing things because Corrupt. there's been use of technology. That's the major issue. Sign-stealing has always been a thing in Major League Baseball. You but, just had to do it cleverly yeah. from on the field as a player and risk getting hit as a result of it. Like if you were on second base and you could see what the catcher was signing and you were able to relay that information somehow to the hitter, the pitcher would either get mad at the base runner and remember that and throw at him later, or he'd get mad at the batter right at that moment and throw at the batter there. And that's just like, that's just the risk you take. But what the Astros are accused of is using video from behind, from in the outfield, from behind the pitcher to see what the catcher's doing and using that video to relay a message into the dugout and then have somebody in the dugout use some kind of method, whether it's a whistle or banging a trash can or whatever else, to alert the player whether it was going to be a fastball or whether it was going to be an off-speed pitch. That may not sound like a big deal, but conversations that I've heard with former players and analysts and stuff, that players hate, players think sign-stealing is way more of a cheating factor than steroids. Which is insane to me. Knowing which pitch is coming is significantly more impactful to the game than having slightly more muscle mass. Because, yeah. I mean, I kind of get it, too, though, at the same time, where it's like, yeah, because if I know a fastball is coming to me, I'm swinging hard. Kind yeah, of thing. That's, and that's the idea. And so, Which, like, have you seen the stats of, like, the Astro players that, that like they've hit so many more home runs because of this like last two years and I'm like huh I haven't looked that far into it really because mostly it's just Jose very Altuve's disappointing stats are there's a weird different. there's video two of Altuve there's an issue with him possibly having a buzzer on him that there are a lot used. more other players too because like Jake uh, Jake something he had like, he has a weird outline too where like they all have like weird outlines where you're like huh that's a little questionable like you shouldn't be wearing a mic. Like, what? What's that? So I, it's really a bummer that like you're a player. You know this is not okay. Like this is so far beyond okay to intentionally use technology to do this craziness and have that be a thing. Like, why? And so baseball made it a point to say like Rob Manfred. It's like, this is not going to be a joke. We are going to go all in on you are not. We have to show that this is not okay. And so Major League Baseball suspended um, the Astros GM, Lou Now, and the Astros manager, um, A.J. Hinch, suspended them for a whole year. And the Astros even went more on top of it and fired both of them, which is crazy. See, I... I'm interested. I haven't looked it up. I probably should have, like, some of the reasoning behind firing them. Because if baseball is going to suspend them for a year, like, that's a big deal to suspend them for a year. Um, they also took draft picks. Yeah. And $5 million. $5 million is who cares. <clears throat> I, I want $5 million. <laughs> but that <laughs> it's suspending them for a year makes sense. But firing them, like, they're going to get hired. Yeah. AJ Hinch is probably the best manager in all of baseball and Lou now put this incredible roster together. So they're both going to get jobs. So to what end the Astros you're just giving other teams some of your best assets? 
I don't know. So maybe they think there's enough negativity behind the whole thing that the entire franchise on the whole would suffer incredibly yeah. financially and reputationally from all of it. I don't know. But that was an insane decision. And then, so that's them. Shortly thereafter, the Red Sox fire or agreed to part ways with their manager, Alex Cora, because he was a bench coach on the Astros at the time. Which sucks is he's also a good manager. He's also a very good manager. So he got the boot, and that'll be interesting to see what happens with him. And then a day or two later, Carlos Beltran, the manager of the Mets, was a player on the Astros at the time. And That's also, how he's connected. Okay. I didn't know how he was connected. Fired. So, I thought that he also mutually accepted the leave. I, like either way, these three guys, managers of these teams, so 10% of the managing uh, employment you in the league lost their jobs because of this situation. That alone tells you that this two is of a them big are, deal. Two of them are top teams still. Yeah. And then the Mets. But. <laughs> so I just – I don't know. It's a lot. I think I, it seems necessary to just to that blatantly go out of your way to do something that you know is against the rules for the sake of winning. It's terrible. And I mean, there are guys who will say like you when you play to win, like that is your goal. And if you do this one thing, it makes the difference between you being a World Series champion and you not being a World Series champion. Most guys are going to do that one yeah. thing if there's a good chance that they can get away with it. And I'm not going to sit here and be holier than thou and say that I would never do that. I don't know. I've never been in that position. I've played a lot of pickup basketball and pickup ultimate and these things, and I generally call all the fouls on myself. Like I, there's it's pickup. It, who cares? I'm not out there trying to win a championship at these levels. So I don't know what that feeling is like mm. to be that close, to put in all that time and energy and effort over the decades of your lives, trying to be the best player you can be and get to the pinnacle of your sport and to be the best team in the world, whatever. And all you have to do is this one thing that might not be on the straight and narrow, but it's going to secure that for you. I'm not going to sit here and I mean, I'm going to be bummed by it. That's not the image we want to send. We don't want to tell fans. We don't want to tell kids that Cheating winning okay. at all costs, like the ends justify the means. That's going to be up to each one of you to decide where you think that stands, whether some people even think sign stealing, like you still got to hit it. Like even if you know it's coming, you still got to hit it and it's hard. So it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect cheating system, but it's definitely an advantage. Yeah. Did you hear about the... We got one minute. Oh, well, did you hear about the Mike Trout HGH? That is a much bigger topic that we're <laughs> just going to leave at that and say, hopefully it's not completely accurate. Or well, it has been some... confirmed that okay, it's not well, accurate. Then, but... Okay. How dare anybody? I, I don't know. I it, I was really conflicted when somebody told me about that the other day. I'm pretty uh, sure... Like, I'm 99% sure it's been confirmed inaccurate, uh, incorrect. Good. We'll, so we'll get to that maybe next week, or we won't because who cares because Mike Trout is perfect and people can try to throw arrows at him and they will all just fall off. True. Um, but anyway, thanks for those of you who tuned in on the live on the Instagram. We appreciate it. Thanks for checking out this episode of From Bob's Sports Desk. Make sure to tune in, comment, send us some feedback, stuff, whatever. Have fun watching sports this week. I'm Jacob Bomber. I'm Jake Mathis. See ya.